Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. We're talking plant-based diets in this episode. Join us to learn how a plant-based diet may help or hinder your running performance. We're looking at all the pros and cons. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. Hi everybody, it's Aileen here and as usual I'm joined by Karen, um, my good friend. For those of you who don't know, as we met at college a few years ago when we both studied nutritional therapy and we came became friends really over many hours of lectures and revision sessions. So what are your memories of those days, Karen? Yes, like you say, Aileen, there was lots of hard work, but also lots of fun and group support um, as well from um, fellow students, including you, Aileen. You kind of helped me through those four or five years of study. Um, and another fond memory that I really have is about a regular meetups at um, local Carluccio's. It's usually where we, we met after lectures or at lunchtimes and things. And and also we've met up there quite a few times since at different Kaluchos, but just sort of going back down memory lane several times. But and it's really sad actually that they've um that they've gone into administration. So, you know, we might not be able to do that again. Although hopefully somebody might be able to rescue them, I'm hoping. <laughs> oh, I do as well. I mm. love Kaluchos and like you say, we had uh... We spent a lot of money at Carluccio. Yes. We spent a lot of money on our student uh, fees. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was the sort of a congregation place for us. Mm. And, uh, yeah, lots of um, happy memories. Yes, so, um So we've had a trip down memory lane, but let's get started on today's topic, uh, which is all about plant-based eating. So I'm sure many people will realize that vegan living has become very popular. It's almost become mainstream in the last couple of years. And many runners and athletes have turned to a plant-based diet. And so today we're going to be looking at the pros and cons of eating a plant-based um, food plan, um, really thinking about foundational health as well as the impact on running performance. And as always, we'll be highlighting any key points for female runners to consider um, so, Karen, what's your personal experience of plant-based eating? Well, I'm actually um, a lacto-ovo vegetarian, so um, I eat dairy and eggs. But it does mean that I can really speak from personal experience regarding the positives and potential challenges of a plant-based diet. What about you, Aileen? 
Um, well, um, I thought of eat everything in moderation, I would say. But a few years ago, I did follow a raw plant-based diet for almost a year. So I'm going back quite a few years and I'll talk a little bit about that um, later on. But, but as you say, you know, we've both got personal experience. And from a professional point of view, we've both worked with vegetarian and vegan clients. So we've got a wealth of experience between us. And hopefully we can share some of those insights today. Um, so to get us going, Karen, can we talk a bit more about your experience of following a lacto-vegetarian food plan and what motivated you to do that? Yes, absolutely. Well, I've been a vegetarian now for, oh my goodness, what, 38 years? A long time, actually. Um, and I have to say that the variety of foods that are available now is just vast besides when I first became vegetarian. You know, I had to check every packet of of food for animal fats when I first became vegetarian because nearly everything contained it, you know, down to digestives, rich teas, oat cakes. So I had to, so, so my choices were really, really limited. And also going out to eat was, it just wasn't worth it. It was easier to stay at home. At least I could, I could cook more variety because I would either have to choose from an omelette, which they might put some cheese or mushrooms in if I asked and some limp leaves. Um, or I could have like a mixy salad and they'd maybe sort of grate some um, cheddar cheese over the top of that. And it would just be the basics, you know, sort of the the the, gar- the, the, the garden lettuce. Um, there was no rocket or watercress or anything like that. And then there would just be some tomatoes and raw onions and then this grated cheese over the top. So, you know, certainly that's what it was like in the northeast of Scotland. Maybe down here in the metropolis in London, it, there was more choice even then. But certainly where I come from, um, it was very, very limited. Yeah, well, that, that's one of my recollections. I don't know whether you remember, Karen, when we were students, probably towards the end of our studies, um, there was an organization, I don't know whether it was Vegan Society, arranged a challenge week. And so we both did it uh, so that we could yeah. under, understand better what our clients might be um, facing. And the thing that I really remember was it was easy doing it at home, but it was really difficult eating out. And restaurants tended to remove things but not replace anything else so you know mm. if you have a, a vegan meal you'd end up with something that was just a tomato sauce and nothing else to replace uh, the ingredients that they'd taken away um, yeah. but nowadays it's just so different you know and even in the last three four years it, it's really mm. changed and it's almost like standard that you you get options on on every menu so, so I think things have really improved for the better um, so thinking about um, sort of what motivated you all those years ago, Karen, to be to become a vegetarian? Yeah, I think what influenced my decision really, um, when I think back about it, was the fact that I lived close to um, a farm. And there was a pig farm there as well, known as a piggery up in the northeast of Scotland. I don't know if that's universal or if that's just the area I come from. And the noise and the squealing of the pigs as they were put on these lorries to go off to the slaughterhouse was it was just heartbreaking. And I used to have to put my my fingers in my ears or just go home because I just couldn't bear it and just knowing where they were going. So I think that and the fact that I used to go and help the farmers with the feeding of the cows and the feeding of the calves. And it really made me start to question what I was doing. And that really was my are my reason. So they're very much more moral and principle driven. 
Yeah. So for you, it's very much an ethical um, situation, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, that you do it for ethical reasons, as well as from a health perspective as a nutritionist. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's just so important to me. And what about yeah. you, Aileen? Can you tell me and tell us, the audience, about your experience of a raw plant-based diet? Because that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. And it was something that I embarked upon probably about 11 years ago, just before I trained as a nutritional therapist. And a friend introduced me to eating raw. And um, I ate that way really for energy reasons. And to be honest, at the time, it never even entered my mind that it was vegan. And it wasn't until I went on some kind of training weekend, I realized that so many people that followed a raw diet were actually vegan. And I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I really loved eating um, raw food, and it, but it does take quite a lot of preparation. And, you know, I, as you know, I'm a foodie and I've got a mm. food background. Um, so I love being in the kitchen and I really enjoyed learning all the different ways to um, prepare different foods. And I went on raw food preparation courses and got lots of books, et cetera. And, um, yeah, and I, I, you know, found it really health promoting. I I really enjoyed it. But then, um, when I started studying nutrition, um, and, you know, we were going to those lectures that we talked about earlier Mm. on and, and quite often, you know, certainly in the first year, there was a lot of, um, lectures about specific foods and, and I started finding myself adding in small amounts of things like fish and eggs and a little bit of meat. Um, and that works for me. So I, I still enjoy raw food and I still would have high a high amount of raw food in my food plan, but I also enjoy some of the other things too. Mm. Um, but I think as a nutritional therapist, um, my job really is to help people optimize any food plan. Um, and so I'm there to support a client's personal choices. So if they've got an ethical reason for following a particular food plan, or it might be an environmental reason, um, or maybe it's just the likes and dislikes. Um, there's no judgment from my point of view. I'm just there to say, what are people doing now? How can I adapt that and adjust it and give them guidance so they get the best possible nutrition from whatever they're eating? So yeah. that's so yeah, that's my background. <laughs> so mm, shall we? Really, really interesting. Yeah, thanks, Karen. So shall we look at the the nutritional pros and cons of a plant-based diet for everyone? And then we'll move on to look at it from a potential performance benefit for runners. Um, so if we can yeah. start, Karen, with looking at the key nutritional things that anybody following a plant-based diet should consider. Yeah, so the key pros, I suppose, are that it's it's really um, well known for and well researched for its preventative measures, um, sort of helping minimise some chronic health diseases such as type two diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, and also. Uh, it's supposed to be really supportive in helping reduce high blood pressure and and obesity as well. So following that diet that you were speaking about, Aileen, um, including some raw foods, keeping it plant based can help weight, help control weight. It's also known for both digestive immune health. Um, they're really greatly supported by eating just that wide range of vegetables and fruit that you you get and naturally increase in um in a 
vegetarian, um, plant-based diet, and also the amount of vitamins and minerals in a plant-based food um, uh, plan that supports en energy produc production. So it is generally acknowledged that a predominantly plant-based diet could help prevent or even reverse some of these leading chronic health conditions in the UK, but also there's been a lot of research beyond the UK as well, worldwide really, it's it's been well researched. Um, and this is thought to be due to the healthy predominantly um, pla plants and vegetables and fruits that are eaten because they're free from processed and refined foods, they're colourful, they're health promoting, um, alongside some of the plant-based protein sources that we will speak a bit more about later. Mm. Yeah, so, so yeah, some really big reasons. So it's to help uh, prevent chronic health diseases, promote the digestion and immune health, and also this energy production. So I think, you know, going back to my experience, um, I really found that eating a lot of plants, particularly the raw plants, really uh, boosted my energy. And I just got so much clarity and was able to get up early in the morning. And, and often people talk about that, don't they? Yes. Um, so it's a really good reason. So what about the cons? What's the other side of the coin? Yes, that uh, I think it's really important to to know that you can choose a healthy plant based diet or not. You know, I think it's really easy for um, people to eat high processed plant foods um, and some that are really carb carb um, heavy, and that may not be quite so healthy for the average person. Mm, yeah, you're so right, Karen. There's a can be a tendency for people to focus on processed foods. Uh, and I think particularly that the the food industry has got, um, you know, they've cottoned onto the fact that people are interested in plant-based eating and, you know, it's not always the healthy choices that they're offering. Uh, the other angle is that sometimes people concentrate, focus on carbohydrates um, as well as processed foods. And by doing that, they might be missing out on some important nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be challenging to get some of these key nutrients from solely plant based foods um, because they are neutral. There are certain nutrients that you can only find in, in animal food. So that is a big challenge for, for vegans, especially, but also some vegetarians as well. Yeah. And, and what would you say the key nutrients are that people might be missing out on? Well, I think one of the the principal ones, and again, this is the one that that most vegetarians and vegans would um, want to be supplementing, is B twelve. Because with vitamin B twelve, you can only source that from animal foods. Um, a, a plant based diet can't provide the the B twelve in its active form and its bioavailable form, so it has to be got from from different meats. Another one here I would I would mention is iron. So and there are two types of iron. You have heme iron and non heme iron. So heme iron is the 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 way it's presented in animal foods, and it it is really um, easily absorbed and bioavailable to the body. However, with non-heme iron that's found in plants, it's really difficult to absorb it. So a lot of it is is sort of excreted from the body. So that's another key 
and nutrient, I would say that um, that that are really important. Then another nutrient um, to I think people should focus on is the essential fatty acids. Um, so that's the omega threes. I'm thinking of principally, which is predominantly found in fish. So again, if you don't eat any oily fish or their oils. It's, it's maybe one to be thinking about supplementing um, and probably the vegan sources, both for vegetarians and vegans, you would be looking at the vegan source uh, supplements and that would be recommended. Yeah, so those are the sort of top three that people would possibly already know about. Um, just moving on from the omega-3s, mm -hmm. I, I was just thinking about vitamin D3, Karen, and we know that many people who live in the Northern Hemisphere are maybe deficient in vitamin D just due to the limited sun exposure that, that we have. Although maybe as runners, if we're out in the sunlight uh, when we're doing our runs, our vitamin D status might be higher. But it's still something to consider because you can get a small amount of vitamin D3 from some foods. Uh, so vitamin D3 is found in oily fish, eggs and butter. So again, you know, if you follow in a plant-based diet, you haven't got access to that. Um, although it's, you know, you, as I said earlier, you, you do get most of your vitamin D through safe sun exposure on, on the skin. Um, but it's another one that people might just want to think about checking and maybe getting tested on to make sure that they're at the optimal status. Yeah, definitely, Aileen. Um, I would totally agree with that. And so, and, and also, if you're following a plant-based diet, you may also be missing out on nutrients from dairy food. So thinking here about vegans more than than vegetarians, um, because dairy foods contain micronutrients such as calcium and zinc. So if you're not eating those, then it, you need to be thinking about other sources um, of, of other sources for these particular nutrients. Um, I think in, in sort of the lacto-vegetarians, like I say, the lacto-over-vegetarians, the likelihood of deficiency is, is possibly reduced. But in a strict vegan diet, the potential for issues is much higher. And, and I think it's worth remembering that some foods are fortified, um, but they're not always the healthiest of foods that are fortified. Um, so, so I think that it's, it's another option, but as nutritional therapists, it's always best to, we feel that it's always best to try and get the, these nutrients from natural food sources wherever possible, really. Mm. So when we say foods are fortified, Karen, what, what do we mean by that? We just mean that um, these particular certain nutrients are actually added to the food. So quite often, say, for example, if we take um, flour in the processing of flour, we're losing quite a lot of, of, of key nutrients. And what they do is they then fortify it back in. So they're putting it back in in, in kind of a, an artificial way, really because they've taken it out, they need yeah. to replace it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you often, often find that in things like processed nut milks and yes. non-dairy milks, dairy, there'll be extra things added in, which can be helpful, but sometimes they're in such minute amounts that they maybe don't make an awful lot of difference. Yes. Way. Yes. Um, but it, it's good to know these things. Um, so as I said earlier, vegans can sometimes fall into the trap of eating a high-carbohydrate diet and forget to eat enough protein. And I know that's something that when I have clients who are 
maybe beginning to have a, a plant-based diet. It's a, an area that I try to focus on with them so that they look at different ways of eating protein. Um, so we're going to be talking about what the optimal amounts of plant protein are. And we'll maybe talk about some examples later on, Karen. Mm. Um, but just sort of, you know, to round up all of the things that you've been explaining so far, how would you summarize um, what we've talked about for, for everybody who's on a plant-based diet, whether they're a runner or not? Yeah, I think how I would summarize it is that um, I do believe that everyone could benefit from following a more whole food plant-based diet, you, like we were saying earlier, to help prevent some of the chronic conditions that are influenced by our lifestyles. However, it is to what degree that is important, uh, especially for runners and, uh, and other athletes. So really thinking about the individual and personalizing it. Clearly, for us alien as nutri nutritional therapists, if people choose a plant-based diet for ethical reasons, then it is important that we work with those restrictions. And I think we have to bear that in mind that it's not about trying to persuade them. It's about working with them. Yeah, and I, I don't know if this is something common that you're finding, Karen, but I get a lot of clients who describe themselves as accidental vegans. You know, so they started taking one thing out of their food plan. And then before we know it, there's quite a few things. And particularly if I've worked with people over a period of time, they're suddenly saying to me, oh, I'm no longer eating fish or I'm no longer eating this. And it's really interesting to find out why, <laughs> you know, yeah. and if there's a, you know, if there is an ethical reason or if there's something else going on. So, um, it's just, uh, good things to just, think about really it are you because sometimes you might not have decided that you're a vegan and that suddenly you are a bit like yes. me years ago yeah raw diet and not really realizing I was a vegan mm. I think okay. that's a really good um, point mm. so so what we're saying is possible to be healthy and follow a plant-based food plan as long as you focus on optimizing those key nutrients which mm. as you said Karen are B12 the essential fatty acids with particularly omega-3 iron vitamin D um, and optimizing nutrition status in other areas, uh, particularly the micronutrients, which are the vitamins and minerals, and also optimizing your protein status. Um, so just thinking about people that have been following a plant-based diet for a while, or maybe they're considering making a change, how would they know what their nutrient status is? How would they find that out? Yeah, well, my my key advice would be to get tested. And you alluded to that earlier, Aileen, about vitamin D. And I think that is really important to, to have it tested. What I tend to do um, with new clients is suggest that they go to the GP first and see if they can get the tests for the B12, the vitamin D and the iron and sort of looking at iron from a hemoglobin point of view, but also the ferritin. So really looking at the stored iron um, status as well as circulating hemoglobin. And, and I just say to them, you know, just explain to the to, to your GP that you're a vegan. And if they are ru uh, runners, then just sort of uh, letting the, the GP know that as well. And just just explain that you want to know your status so that you can you can decide whether you need to supplement. And some GPs are really supportive of this. I have to say, I've had a real mix with my clients. Um, but, but with ones where G, that the GP isn't very, um, supportive, then there are private tests that are available. 
And one that I don't think the GPs would be willing to do is the fatty acid balance test. So that would need to be, so it's just looking at the balance between the omega-3, omega-6. It does look at other fatty acids as well, but those are the two key ones that we tend to speak about. So that would need to be done privately. And, um, and really, if, if, if a client was, if someone was going to, to a nutritional therapist, they would be able to advise them on, on what tests would be best for them. And some are affordable. Um, and I always think it's, it's actually a good investment to test, not guess, um, before supplementing. So just finding out exactly what the status is and then, um, targeting the supplementation for what the, the individual's needs are. Because some of these things, especially with the likes of iron and, um, vitamin D, if, if you're taking on too much, it can be toxic and can lead to symptoms and, and problems. Yeah, that's a really good insight, Karen. I, I tend to follow a similar sort of approach with, with clients is um, to do some sort of um, standard testing to begin with. And it's really interesting with people who follow a vegan plan because often you can't, you just don't know what the results are going to be. And some people come out and they've, and they've got really um, healthy ranges of nutrients and others don't. And there's a whole host of reasons why. Mm. Um, so, you know, it might be because they've been following a vegan diet or it might be other reasons. But I think, as you say, it's really important to know uh, where you are before you start supplementing, if that's at all possible. And I've just had an experience of that myself. I've just done some testing and, um, and things that I intuitively thought that I might be low on. I wasn't and other areas I was. So I think it, you know, it's always good. So yeah. Good point there. Mm. Um, so can we look at runners now and, and what you would uh, consider the potential concerns of following a plant-based food plan specific to runners? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the possible downfalls are linked to going back to that potential lack of intake of the, of the key nutrients needed specifically for supporting the um, immune system, supporting energy, but also for mus muscle building. And all of these are really important areas for a runner. Now, that this doesn't mean that an individual will be low in these. But research has shown that it happens pretty consistently. So, and this can quite often happen in non-vegetarians um, and non-vegan athletes and distance runners, especially. Um, so it, it, it would suggest that maybe a vegan or a vegetarian might be at higher risk again from potential um, insufficiencies or deficiencies of key nutrients. Okay, so I think one of the things that's come into my mind is that, you know, it is possible to have a really healthy uh, plant-based food plan, um, but you need to really invest quite a bit of time and dedication to thinking about what's on your food plan into preparation and cooking so that you do have a balanced um, diet containing all the key nutrients. Um but it can take a bit of focus, certainly at the start of your plant-based journey to make sure that you're getting it right. Um, so I, I find, Karen, that as I said earlier, one of the problems that or the struggles that people have is choosing protein foods mm. and getting enough variety and having the right enough of the right amount of protein in their food plan. Um, so what plant-based proteins do you recommend? 
Yeah, so being vegetarian myself, um, I can speak from experience here. So, so ones that um, that I use a lot are the legumes. So that's your beans, pulses, lentils, and and you can really use those. They're so versatile. You know, you can use them in casseroles. You can use them in salads. You can even make patties and burgers. So much you can make make them into soups. There's so much that you can do with them, and I think because they're you can buy them ready cooked as well, just as a time saver. So really good foods there. Chickpeas is another um, another one and other peas. But chickpeas is really good for making hummus, which is um, a great snack, but also nuts and seeds. And, and with the nuts and seeds, you can use their oils, but you can also um, use them as milks, butters put them into sauces. So there's a lot of, of things you can do with nuts and seeds as well. They're really versatile. And one of the key foods that I tend to use is um, soybean. So soybean for me, um, more in the form of tofu or tempeh. So tofu is sort of just like a solid version. You get the silken and you get the solid. So it's, so it's made from soybeans. That's the base of it. And then um, you can cube it and add it again to casserole, soups, stews, everything. And it will take on the flavours of whatever it is you're making. So I find that's really good, really versatile, really high in protein. And also tempeh, which is the fermented version of tofu. Um, so got that added bonus of, of supporting gut health. Um, so those would be are the key ones that that come to mind for me. Have you got any others, Aileen, that you can think of? Yeah, well, all of those are great. And um, sometimes people, I think, are a bit reticent to use tofu. They always screw their nose up and say, oh, no, I couldn't possibly eat tofu. Um, but I, I went on holiday to China a number of years ago, and that really changed my approach to tofu because I realized <laughs> that you could marinate it and make it, you know, really flavorsome. So, yeah, I think uh, it's something that can be embraced. Um, so other things that um, I would suggest would be quinoa. So, mm. you know, quinoa is sort of quite bland unless you flavor it. So, again, you know, you can add dressings to it. You can add sauces. Uh, you can put, put it in soups and casseroles just to bulk the protein element out. Um, protein powders, there's lots of different vegetarian protein powders out there. And, uh, you know, they can be used for um, smoothies and shakes. But if, if you get one that isn't flavored, again, you can add that to savory foods. So if, if you're just trying to increase the amount of protein, um, particularly for runners, it can be helpful. You, you can add it to different types of foods. Um, a lot of um, vegans will tell you that, well, I can get all my protein from vegetables. And yes, definitely, there are. Um, proteins in vegetables, um, but they're not protein dense. So it would be quite challenging, I would suggest, to get all of your protein just from leafy vegetables. Um, but, you know, if, if you're willing to put the effort into working it all out, then maybe that works for some individuals. But I think it's always a good idea to get your proteins from various different sources. And I think, as you said earlier, Karen, you know, be a creative cook aim for lots of variety. Um, I had a, a vegetarian client recently and he'd been vegetarian, you know, similar to you, you know, most of his adult life. And he, he was actually well, quite a bit older than you. So he was in his seventies and um, he'd been eating the same things in and out every day. And, and it was really quite challenging getting him to try some different 
methods because he'd just got into the habit. He knew what he liked and uh, he was using a lot of processed foods. So, so yeah, try and be creative and uh, get as much variety in. Um, and I, I think also, you know, invest a little bit in some recipe books. Um, so, and, and there's lots of, um, sort of chefs that have blogs as well. So even if you if you don't want to spend on a recipe book, you could just um, Google some recipes. Uh, but my favorites, um, you know, and, and I obviously, as we know, I'm, I'm not totally plant-based, but I still use a lot of plant-based recipes. Uh, one of my favorites are, are the Happy Pear. And they're a couple of um, Irish brothers, actually. I think they, they're in Cork. They've got a couple of really good books out and they also have an online course and they've got some great recipes. Uh, I also like Deliciously Ella and the Helmsley sisters or Hemsley and Hemsley sisters. Um, so they're not vegan, but they do have a lot of plant-based recipes. Um, so if you delve into their um, cookbooks and they've got several, you can find some really good ones. Um, what about you, Karen? Have you got any favorite chefs yeah like you I really like the Hemsley sisters and especially Melissa Hemsley I've got a few of her her individual cookbooks as well as the Hemsley and Hemsley books so I really like them and others that I like include Ottolenghi and again he isn't purely um vegetarian or vegan but he does have a lot of uh, vegetarian dishes there and I love that sort of Middle Eastern uh, palette I love the the flavors of the Middle Eastern foods and then Jamie Oliver I'm a big fan of Jamie Oliver and some of his his more recent books I think are, are really good again not completely vegetarian but he's got a a, a high amount of vegetarian stroke vegan vegan uh, recipes in in his books Mm, yeah, I love Otto Lange too, mm. and Jamie. You know, quick recipes, and and I think it is worth. You know, you might even be living in a household, as I know you do, Karen, where some of some of the family aren't following plant based, but you can do plant based recipes and add meat and fish mm. as a side dish, and then you're not having to cook different things for different people. Exactly. And same if you're, if you're entertaining. I often find if I've got friends around for dinner, there's a variety. Some people eat fish, some people are totally vegetarian, a vegan, and some people eat everything. So coming up with recipes that suit everybody can be really helpful and save a bit of time yes, as well. Definitely. <laughs> right. So so moving on to the female um vegan runner, what do they need to consider? Hmm. I think I think the one thing that stands out for me here regarding the the female vegan runner would be iron. Um, mm -hmm. as, as certainly pre-menopausal women require additional amounts and especially during menstruation. So that's a really important one um, for, for women. I think it's important for them also to be aware of some of the key symptoms of insufficiency. So this is before you get pure, you get into deficiency. But um, if they if they can sort of be aware of some of the symptoms of insufficiency, they might be able to address it before the, before moving into the deficiency phase, because it does actually take a long time to replete iron levels. So you really want to, to nip it in the bud, basically. And, and I think tiredness mm. is one of the key symptoms, but I think it's often one that, that we ignore. Um, and just put it down to being busy at work, stress at work, not enough sleep. There's always an excuse for it. 
Um, and all of which is true, but it's definitely worth getting iron tested just in case that is the issue. Yeah, that's a really good point, Karen, because I think women often uh, just press on, don't we? We just think, oh, I'm tired, but I'll just keep going. And uh, it's a good point to say that we should should check it out. Uh, but what are some of the other symptoms that people might want to look out for? Um, some of the other symptoms would include weakness, including muscle weakness, uh, irritability um, and an inability to, to focus both on the sport, but also in everyday life on work and things like that. And as as iron levels continue to reduce, so so moving into that deficiency phase, um, other other symptoms will become apparent. For example, pale skin, pale nail beds and inside the eyes, also really cold hands and feet. And again, as it progresses, um, people could suffer from headaches, dizziness, lightheadedness as well. And um, there are there are a myriad of symptoms, really, but those would be would be the key ones, and certainly ones um, for people to to consider. And I think another one, a key one, is shortness of breath, and that can mm. can quite often come on later. So that would be more of a sign of of deficiency. So um, so really worth becoming a bit more self aware of what's happening and and sort of acting on any symptoms that you see are are apparent yeah that's really uh really insightful karen and i think people the healthier you get i always find that people become more intuitive and more self aware because the mud the waters aren't muddy yeah um excuse me i'm going to <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, self-awareness is a really important thing. So what about the benefits for women who follow a plant-based food plan? Are there any benefits that you can think of? Yes, absolutely. So some of the foods that we have mentioned, you both spoken about, um, you naturally have a higher intake of of vegetables and fruits, and these contain um, high levels of phytoestrogens. And these can also be found in beans and pulses and fermented soy, um, particularly those. You get phytochemicals in the fruit and vegetables, but the phytoestrogens are more prominent in the likes of the beans and the pulses and fermented soy. And these are really good at supporting the balance of female sex hormones, and at every age stage, from teenage years through to menopause, these phytoestrogenic compounds can be really helpful in, in bringing about balance. Um, and also, I think following a plant-based food plan is supportive for promoting good bone health. And that's um, especially important in menopausal women for um, preventing the development of osteoporosis, but also I would say there it's it's um, it's for the 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 youth as well, sort of the the teenagers who are maybe doing a lot of sport, whether it be you know running less less so at a younger age, I suppose with with um, um, sort of distance running maybe, but a lot of the performing arts, etc., you get and and gymnastics and things you'll get young girls doing, and that is known to lead to a delay in in um, period starting or menstruation starting, and that again can impact on bone density. So for the young and for the the menopausal women, I think these are two key areas where where um, a plant-based diet might be really helpful. Mm. 
Yeah, and I often find that, um, you know, for the clients in general, uh, female clients in general, um, not necessarily those that are just following plant-based, if they are presenting with these kinds of conditions that you talked about, you know, either the female sex hormone imbalance or the or potentially osteoporosis, I like to move them towards maybe having one plant-based diet a one plant-based meal a day mm. um, or possibly flipping it the other way and saying only have one animal food-based meal a day to get them, um, you know, just making that transition so that it, the shift is more towards a plant-based uh, food plan whilst they're still getting the nutrients from other areas of their, of their diet. Yeah, that's a really good idea, actually, Aileen. Yeah. So, um do you know of any well-known runners um, who follow a plant-based diet successfully, Karen? Yes, actually. Um, he's one of my favorite runners um, is um, Scott Jurek. Um, he he is vegan and um, he's also thought to be one of the greatest runners of all time, certainly a distance runner. And he's also the author of Eat and Run, which is, I think is a really good book because it takes you through his running history, but also his nutrition history as well, because he wasn't always vegan, um, but became vegan early on in his 20s, I think. And what's also really nice about his book is that the beginning or the end of every chapter, he gives you a little recipe. So um, so a great book to, to read as well. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Scott Jurek. Yes, I know you are, Karen. I think you've got a secret. <laughs> yes, I think I do. <laughs> okay, so what does Scott eat then? What's his main food plan? Well, like I'm saying, you know, he is 100% um, pl uh, plant-based, so he is vegan. He did go through different stages. He was a meat eater and then he turned vegetarian. Then I think he went back to meat for a while and then um, and then turned vegan. So he's, he's tried it all. And um, he uses predominantly, a bit like you used to, Aileen, and still do, um, he eats predominantly raw foods, sprouted foods, um, and, and he finds that that's just much easier for his, his digestion, uh, especially being a distance runner. Um, he he eats a lot of high protein foods at every meal and snack. So he's very conscious and um, spends a lot of time considering what he's having at each meal time. And he eats the most odd foods for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Actually, there doesn't seem to be a defined style of breakfast it's just whatever he's made so and I love that mm. and also mm. he does use plant-based protein powders and he he will drink those but he will also use them in foods so just add a, a, a scoopful or a spoonful into some of the foods that he's making just to make sure he's he's getting optimum um, or optimal protein intake. Great. So has he given any examples in his book about how he gets that adequate protein intake? Yeah. So he'll use things like the sp sprouted grains and he tends to always use sprouted grains. I think maybe on the odd occasion they're not, but, um, but he tends to, to sprout them. Nut butters he uses a lot. And also he's a big fan of soy products. So he'll use sprouted tofu. He'll use tempeh. He uses edamame beans as well, and also the legumes that we were speaking about earlier, the beans, peas, lentils, etc. He uses those. He'll um, he'll make his own energy bars um, that he uses for snacks, and also has makes his own trail mixes. 
using sort of lots of um seeds and nuts and also some fruits in there as a snack. And he'll also make a lot of um again soy and nut based desserts and they're all really yummy and some of some of the recipes mm. are quite detailed but um he's got some really simple but scrummy um recipes in his book. Oh I think I might have to buy that book. It mm. sounds really good. <laughs> so so you know Scott's obviously got you know tremendous performance um i'm just wondering if you're aware of any other any sort of research studies demonstrating improved running performance that you could quote maybe yeah i think there is there is research out there aileen definitely but i think that the research into sort of vegan living for a runner is is limited and most of them are small studies and looking at short-term changes rather than long-term studies um in fact i'm not aware of any studies looking at the long-term performance effects of a plant-based study uh, of a plant-based diet and i think that's maybe an area that needs to be sort of um, researched going forward i think there's quite a lot of anecdotal evidence which people may read about and there's nothing wrong with that at all you get some really um sort of interesting information from that. However, I think my concern is that it doesn't always show the long-term effects. And for me, that's what is necessary now. We know short-term, you can lead to a lot of positives, but what is the long-term effect as different vitamins and minerals start to become depleted? Um, and, mm. um, and I think that, I think, Scott Jurek shows that it can work and that you can over a long period, you can be vegan over a long t- period of time and it works, but the amount of time, dedication and knowledge of nutrition and food is imperative for it to, 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 to work optimally. Yeah, that's really uh, interesting, Karen, particularly the anecdotal evidence, because there's lots of you know, celebrity articles out there, different athletes in diff- all sorts of different areas in sports who are following vegan food plans. But, um, you know, the, the short-term benefits, you know, you can feel it if you do it yourself, there are short-term benefits. Mm-hmm. And I suppose for individuals embarking on a plant-based food plan for the long term, maybe doing some testing every, you know, six to 12 months mm-hmm. just to see what you, you this would be a good way of monitoring how how everything's working for, for you as an individual. Yeah. So yeah, lots lots of things to think about there. Mm-hmm. So once again, we're coming to the end of this episode. Um, so can we sum up, Karen, what the key takeaways are? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. So I think some of the key um, takeaways from this would be that um, plant-based diets do help support good foundational health for everyone. And, um, but I think to optimize nutrition status, it's important to focus on getting B12, iron, vitamin D, and optimal protein, um, and and essential fatty acids into the diet. And, and that's linking there again, Aileen, to you saying about the testing, you know, maybe get some of these tested to see what your status, your status is. And also just thinking of the female factors, really con- for, for the females focusing on their iron status and the nutrition for bone health, really key areas. And um, 
yeah, just reiterating the the get the testing, especially if you're noticing that you're feeling fatigued, you've got low energy, you're finding it difficult to recover as well from um from your your training. That's a good indicator as well that maybe you're starting to become insufficient or deficient. So, Aileen, have you got anything else that you could add to those key takeaways? Yeah, well, I think for me, Karen, is is the message is everybody's different and personalizing your food plan is best. Um, so you can be a healthy vegan uh, if you put the effort into working out what works for you and making sure that you've got all these key nutrients in place and, and taking some professional advice uh, along the way. Um, so don't just buy the Scott Jurek book and expect if you follow his plan that it's going to work perfectly for you, but you can certainly pick out some things that you can try. So, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I, my takeaway message is. So I've really enjoyed talking about this today, Karen. Yes, me too, Aileen. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. <music>